Welcome to Port City Politics. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Shockman. And I'm Michael Pratt. And on this episode, we have a lot to get to. We've got a lot of criminal justice stories to tackle, and we took kind of like a week off, so we've got some backlog stories we got to get to. So I want to start, Pratt, with this story out of our colleagues uh, from WFAE in your neck of the woods in Charlotte. Um, I have to tell you, this story completely surprised me. And uh, our colleague, Steve Harrison, who reported this, um, I don't know how to say this, got pretty high for this story. Well, that's uh, sounds like a vice vice story right here. But yeah, that's that's what it seems like. A little bit of a gonzo journalism attempt here, which is uh, always my favorite kind of journalism. And, um, and Steve's a very even keeled guy. So that's why this was so surprising to me. Yeah. So we're talking about marijuana and really cannabis in the in the larger sense, not marijuana specifically. Right. Because there is a difference. Cannabis is the plant. And that's more of the the scientific botany terminology for um, where marijuana, weed, pot, whatever you want to call it, uh, is a derivative. It's the the flower buds from the cannabis plant. But there are different forms of cannabis, just like there's different types of uh, oak trees. There's different types of cannabis plants. Right. And the law often refers to marijuana, um, although every time we, we have a quote from law enforcement, we'll hear from folks who note there's a somewhat racist history of using the word marijuana um, used by authorities in California to demonize the uh, Mexican population. But yeah, cannabis is the plant, and cannabis includes hemp, um, including strains of hemp that have absolutely no psychoactive ingredients at all, and all of the other different hybrids that do contain psychoactives. So at the federal level, um, the DEA is a bit more specific. The DEA is often concerned with specific chemical compounds rather than just plants. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was I think it was 2018, um, the federal government finally said, OK, um, we're now going to allow basically anything that comes from the cannabis plant, which includes all kinds of like industrial hemp industries. You can make everything. You can make all kinds of plastics, out of stuff like that. But basically, if it has less than 0.3 percent Delta 9 THC, so that's the name of a very specific chemical. That's the psychoactive ingredient in what we call marijuana or pot. They said, as long as it's less than 0.3% of that, you can use it. Now, the the way people talk about different strains of marijuana, you know, there's a, <laughs> you've heard of, you know, the couch lock strains and sort of the uh, come up with the world's next best riff strains, whatever it is. It's because there's right. all these other chemicals that anecdotally change how you experience this stuff. But some of them um, also have some psychoactive impact the most recent one is this chemical called THCA, which on its own is not psychoactive, um, but it breaks down into psychoactive THC. So I want to make two things clear here. One, this is totally legal, right? No mm-hmm. one is going to jail. No one is getting in trouble. Uh, Steve Harrison actually talked to Attorney General Josh Stein about this. Um, mm-hmm. who's actually a little bit frustrated because because it's a totally legal chemical, um, there's not even age restrictions on it. So a 15-year-old could buy this stuff in theory. Wow. So that's I want to make it very clear. Totally legal. Steve Harrison, WFAE reporter, did not break the law um, by yeah. doing this. But, but <laughs> chemically, in your body, when you metabolize it, it becomes THC9. You will fail a drug test if you use this stuff. So... If you are listening to this and you work somewhere where you are drug tested, you're on parole, you work for, I don't know, a company that's just not that chill, whatever it is, right? <laughs> um, yeah. 
you know, please take this caveat. But anyway, we'll, we'll have a link to the story. I just think it's fascinating that, um, you know, a, as with like the designer drugs of the 90s, um, <laughs> the, the broad hemp CBD industry is constantly finding new workarounds. And uh, this latest one is, is just really interesting because uh, at the same time that North Carolina has been sort of North Carolina's, you know, cannabis advocates have been wringing their hands because uh, legislation has just been stuck in the General Assembly, despite support, right. f- despite support from some pretty conservative people, including Bill Rabin, uh, state yeah. senator from Brunswick County, who admitted to smoking marijuana illegally uh, when he was dealing with cancer. Um, so legislation's not going anywhere, but uh, innovators just keep finding new ways to get high. Yeah, and you know, looking at the the hemp plant, looking at the cannabis plant, and talking about what some of these chemical compounds are. Um, so basically, to get a little scientific on you, um, your body has cannabinoid receptors, which is what these cannabis compounds bind to. And uh, one of the most common things you've seen, I mean, you can't throw a stone in Wilmington and really around the state without seeing uh, CBD shops. So CBD is one of these cannabinoids produced from the hemp plant um, and they they have flowers, which most people call buds or, um, you know, the flowers of it, which look just like marijuana, uh, Delta Delta nine THC, um, which is that psychoactive ingredient that gets you high um, that is found in your typical marijuana. Um, the Delta eight THC is uh, Delta eight is legal in North Carolina, correct? Correct. Yeah. So Delta 9 is illegal. Delta 8 has kind of hit the scene um, recently as it's called Delta 8 THC, um, which is, you know, similar. It's a similar cannabinoid compound found in these hemp plants that also has some psychoactive ingredients along with that THCA. There's THCC. I've been to some of these hemp shops. I've uh, interviewed some of the people. Uh, I've never... uh, I've never been willing to try it myself um, because I just don't know what the reaction would be. I don't imagine, um, judging from the people, I can't imagine it's any worse than marijuana. Um, but I also, I, I don't want to get paranoid and couch locked. So right. um, I'll take other people's, uh, I appreciate Steve's uh, willingness to try it because I am not there. Um, but, you know, it, that's that's kind of what we're seeing is all these different cannabinoid compounds, um, the federal and state laws. Um, you know, the, the state laws vary. Federal laws obviously are federal across the country, law of the land. Um, but these different cannabinoids, and I believe, I could be wrong, but I think there's there's maybe hundreds of different cannabinoids or at least dozens of them found within these plants. Um, so if you are able to grow these strains a little differently, um, and, you know, they do it with regular cannabis plants with marijuana um you do get these the indica stativa um basically that up or down feeling uh as you as you mentioned maybe you come up with the next greatest guitar riff um those are these different compounds that you find in here so um you know the marijuana marijuana in general is not just one and and that's what's interesting to me you know you think of uh, you think of other drugs um you think of illicit drugs like cocaine and it's pretty much you have cocaine. You can make it into crack. Um, Biggie tells you how to do it if you want to figure it out. Um, but, you know, you can take cocaine and 
it is what it is. It is that molecule. Um, you know, as you mentioned, those designer drugs, they, they in, intend to mimic what these things are. But with plants, um, just like with different flowers, you can crossbreed different plants and come up with different things and different strains. So that's how these hemp plants are able to, uh, you know, just have the, the high dosage of either this THCA or this um, CBD and very low uh, Delta-9 or higher Delta-8. And one of the things I've, I've heard about these, I've talked with people and I think I read it in that story, um, some of these, and actually when I interviewed the people at the hemp pharmacy, they were kind of explaining to me the difference um, in some of these THC contents. Um, they don't do it there, but the reason why THCA and THCC and some of these other derivatives are not as prevalent, well, they don't, unless you really craft these strains to be prevalent in THCA, a lot of the times what they're doing is taking the terpenes, which are oils, and spraying the buds or the flowers with this stuff. But there are products out there that are not spraying it artificially, that are actually growing it to have these different strains in there. So therefore you get a little bit cleaner of a of a, of a product, which is, you know, it's just really interesting how, um, you know, how people are skirting these laws. And my question is, at the end of the day, people, and, and you know, this is, we're not going to change the marijuana policy in North Carolina. I think we know that. Um, but if people are going to be getting high one way or the other, whether or not they do it legally or illegally now, um, in terms of safety efforts, I mean, you know, for the most part, I, I strongly believe in the science is there that marijuana is safe, um, much safer than opioids when it comes to cancer pain, as you mentioned, pe patients with chronic pain, um, you know, alcohol, driving under the influence is never good. Um, I don't care what people say, oh, I'm so good of driver when I'm high. You're not, you're not, you're going really slow and you're stopped at a, at a green light. Don't do that. Um, but in general, the safety of marijuana, which is natural, we've seen it for, you know, eons. It's been around. Um, people have been smoking it for centuries. Is, in my opinion, or is it time to, to legalize? Because we, what we don't, what, what concerns me, I guess, is if you're going to be going through all these different derivatives, and yes, I know they're already in these different plants already, but they're at different levels. Um, so if you're going to have people working around to get that same Delta 9 THC high, um, I guess it seems to be an unknown, unexplored territory for me that there's not the research of the years and decades and centuries of regular good old-fashioned marijuana that your parents smoked at Woodstock. Um, so with such strict legislation, you have people trying to get around it, and I, I kind of worry about the designer drug status of these things, um, not so much in the legal sense, but some of those designer drugs, you don't know what you're getting in them. You don't know what happens when you increase this different, you know, these different cannabinoids and get them to an extremely high level. Um, do they become more potent than Delta-9? Do they become more toxic and more intoxicating? Um, you know, should legislators might want to take a look at this and just say, you know, the time is here because people are going to smoke weed. I mean, go to any concert at the Live Nation Amphitheater, you're going to see people smoking joints and bowls. Um, it is what it is, and it's not going anywhere. Um, but as you crack down on these stricter marijuana laws, 
you create a whole different beast and it's kind of the devil you know versus the devil you don't and i am not saying marijuana is the devil by any stretch um it's the devil's lettuce yeah it still poses that question to me of i really really think that you know people should kind of come around here because it's not going anywhere alcohol has been proven to be more devastating and toxic and it, it kills more people. I can't understand um, how alcohol is legal. I'm a big bourbon fan, but I don't understand how it's legal. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very mysterious to me. Um, and, you know, this goes back to the 50s of reefer madness and um, all the scare tax, tactics that have been surrounding marijuana. But with so many decades of use um, and actual, you know, science looking at it, um, not to be no pun intended, but I think it's high time to actually like take a look at this and say, do we really want people changing these plants this much? And, you know, possibly growing Frankenstein's monster out here that, you know, if you have super high levels of one cannabinoid that hasn't been studied as much as Delta nine or CBD or whatever it may be, maybe just let people smoke their weed and call it a day. Yeah. So a couple of things I think are worth watching on this story you know, and I'm sure we'll come back to this in future podcasts. But as we've talked about before, in New Hanover County and many other counties, um, even with, you know, sort of moderate sheriffs, um, marijuana is effectively decriminalized um, or destigmatized at the local level. So, for example, if you've got two 16-year-olds and they're in the forest in New Hanover County and one is smoking a cigarette and one is smoking a joint, there's actually stricter penalties for the child smoking the cigarette than there is for the one smoking the joint. Now, if you're trafficking, it's a different story. I will also yeah. say they have a different attitude to people who are smoking marijuana or high on cannabis and are operating a vehicle. And one of the mm-hmm. impediments politically, as I understand it, is the State Sheriff's Association. And what they want is some technology to tell if a person is high while they're driving. So mm-hmm. right now, the sort of you know, best available to law enforcement tests. Don't tell you if someone got stoned yesterday or five minutes before they got in the car. You know, right. and one, you could, you could, I could have been high yesterday and driving fine today uh, because I would have <laughs> metabolized all of the impairing substances out of my system. Um, but a drug test might not, not show that. So that's, that's one thing I wanted to say. The other thing is, to your point, none of this is regulated, right? Um, (laughs) And in fact, early on, you know, when stores like the Hemp Pharmacy came out, they were very careful. A lot of knockoff stores and CBD pop ups and vape stores were not careful and got in trouble with the FDA because they were Mm -hmm. implying that this stuff had medical benefits. But unless you so as long as you but as long as you skirt that language and don't claim it has like, you know, that it's like, you know, reduces rheumatoid arthritis or something like that. No one is regulating this stuff. And to your point about you don't know what you're going to get. I have purchased um, alleged THC8, uh, Delta 8 gummies. Once, yep. I, it was $20 that I threw away on nothing. On, it was the most expensive like uh, gummy bear I've ever bought. And the other time, <laughs> um, I was pretty intoxicated. I was inebriated. I didn't know where up was. Um, yep. So it's a mixed bag because no, no one is watching this stuff, which is one argument for the legality of alcohol, I should say. Um, is that you don't know if you're getting rock gut moonshine that's going to blind you or, you know, Pappy Van Winkle. You just don't know. So the last yeah. thing I'll say is that, again, to, this, to the point about some of the stuff you can get legally high on, yes, but. So imagine you're driving with a, a big bag of um, uh, hemp, right? So no THC, 
in it, right? Or it's it's got the THCA in it, right? And yep. that's legal. But it sure looks like you're driving around trafficking some cannabis, right? So you're arrested, yep. you're taken to jail, um, and what the authorities will do is they will take that and send it to a drug lab to be tested. Unfortunately, not all drug labs are created equal. Some are great, <laughs> some aren't. And an issue, I'm actually looking at a case is in South Carolina right now where there was a, there was a vape shop that legally purchased uh, a, you know, a CBD-type product from a manufacturer in South Carolina. Right, that was licensed mm-hmm. legally. That was legally produced, legally sold, legally purchased. They're the retailer, but mm-hmm. because the the substance degraded at the crime lab, this is a private third party crime lab. It became, or at least registered as THC nine, which is illegal. And then the vape shop owner is facing felony possession charges. Right. So just because the chemical is legal doesn't mean you won't get taken for a wild ride in the justice system. Um, so it's and, and all of that stuff is sort of an emerging world. Uh, the intersection of third party drug testing, you know, unclear laws. It's, it's a mess. Yeah. And I've actually heard from um, if I don't I don't want to name names because I don't know. I can't remember who it was, but it was law enforcement officials that uh, basically said, look, if you're going and it, it wasn't necessarily an argument in favor of legalization, it was just kind of a uh, a discussion. It basically said, look, if you're going to make this stuff legal, the Delta Delta eight or the THCA, these flowers, these buds, they look identical to marijuana. If you're going to legalize those, how are we supposed to know when we pull someone over and they have you know, they sell pre-rolled joints and they sell just buds. They sell the flowers that look and smell just like marijuana. You cannot tell. I mean, maybe they put a little label on it that says Delta Delta 8 or whatever. But, you know, you could smack that on there yourself and call it a day and it could be illegal marijuana. Um, so that was kind of the argument that I heard from law enforcement that was like, if you're going to legalize this, you need to legalize everything because we are not going to know the difference now. The, the science is not there with the crime labs. Um, so that's that's one of the problems. And I will say, you know, one final thing I want to touch on. Everybody always talks about the tax revenue you can get from it, whatever you, you talk about that. But my issue with there's a whole lot of concern with crime across the state. Every community is always going to be on Facebook saying it's so much crime. A lot of crime, not all, but a lot of crime comes from drug dealing and trafficking in illegal substances and trafficking in illegalities in general typically comes with crime, whether that be human trafficking or marijuana or cocaine or heroin, whatever it may be. But if you got rid of the need for illicit drug dealers to sell marijuana, if you could go on the streets and buy it, um, yes, there's still going to be some drug dealers selling weed, um, but by large, you don't need a drug dealer anymore if you just smoke pot. If it's legal, you're going to get rid of that. There's no incentive for anybody to go through some sketchy back alley um, drug dealer or sketchy side of kitchen drug dealer. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's that's the other thing that people don't think about when they rally against legalization of marijuana. If you have a concern with crime rates, just know a lot of that crime comes from illicit drug dealing. And I think the truth of the matter is that weed is not going away. 
no matter how much you try and regulate and legislate it out of oblivion, it's not going away. I firmly believe if you want to reduce crime, that is a good place to start. Um, because there, again, there's no incentive to go rob somebody of their stash, which is what we've seen a lot of. Um, people are stealing pounds of bricks of marijuana from other drug dealers and things like that. Yes, there's still going to be heroin and cocaine and other illicit drugs. Um, but I would, I would definitely argue aside from marijuana, I mean, weed is the the biggest most popular drug if you legalize that you're gonna get rid of crime i i would put good money on that um just because there's no longer the market for illicit marijuana yeah um i think it would be interesting to do an audit of just pick randomly a law enforcement agency anywhere in north carolina and see how much of their resources are dedicated to the war on drugs in general and then specifically uh, investigating, arresting, prosecuting <laughs> cases based on cannabis alone. So I, I think yeah. I think it would bear out your theory, though. Um, all right. So I think it's a good time for a break. But before we do that, uh, just a quick update. Speaking of crime labs, um, I was going to say perfect segue. Uh, so the case um, that we have discussed in this podcast before being brought by the former Wilmington Police Department crime lab director, Bethany Pridgen, um, against almost everyone in the law enforcement community in the greater Wilmington area. <laughs> yeah. um, the city of Wilmington, the Wilmington Police Department, uh, Wilmington Chief Donnie Williams, I believe a top lieutenant, um, Lieutenant Euler, and then also the New Hanover County Sheriff's Office, Sheriff Ed McMahon, and District Attorney Ben David. So where yeah. we left it, um, Ben David has been removed from the case, uh, so that, that part of it has been dismissed. Uh, ben David was quite pleased about that. He had some strong words for Pridgen. Um, and then some more polite words that he officially put out. And yeah. <laughs> um, so much of the case still revolves around the law enforcement agencies. Uh, Wilmington Police Department used to own the lab. Sheriff's Office now operates the lab, although it's still in Wilmington Police Department headquarters, which is a little awkward. Yeah. Uh, the most recent thing is that um, there was, and I hate to say this, kind of a sloppy Fort City Daily story um, that made it sound like mediation was some big breakthrough in the case. Um, but it's a civil case. And almost every civil case, um, a judge will arrange to schedule a mediation attempt. doesn't always work. Um, but this obviously right. saves the court time and money. If you can mm -hmm. come to an amicable agreement, or at least an acceptable agreement, um, you don't have to have a trial. Um, saves time for judges, clerks, all that stuff. And so yep. that's not really the news. I think the interesting news is that we've now moved on to depositions. Now, I haven't seen transcripts from these yet. I don't know if they'll become public, um, although I think it would be illustrative one way or another yeah. if they did. Uh, but as I understand it, um, Chief Donnie Williams, uh, some other top WPD uh, brass, Ben David and Ed McMahon have all or will shortly be deposed. Um, and so as far as we know, that case is moving forward. I haven't heard that anyone is on either side is particularly interested in mediating this. And um, yeah. it doesn't seem like the motivation for this case is financial gain. Um, yeah. So I think we could still see a, uh, you know, a trial for this. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, just, uh, just a little backstory for those. Uh, I know we kind of jumped in and made a arrest right now, but uh, Bethany Pridgen was the former crime lab director. She was, uh, effectively fired from her position when uh, WPD relinquished the control of 
the crime lab to the New Hanover County Sheriff's Office. As you just mentioned, it's still located at the Best Street headquarters. Um, a lot of different allegations in here, but for me, the most uh, damning and the most telling, it's, it, it is a wrongful termination lawsuit, I believe, at least in, in part, that is what part of this is, um, that she was railroaded. Um, that, it, But really what's interesting to me is the, the case of the missing heroine. It could be a Sherlock Holmes uh, short story here. Um, she alleged that there was essentially, effectively, um, paraphrasing, to be clear, paraphrasing, uh, a, a cover-up of sorts that there was missing drugs from the crime lab and that WPD and the DA did not want this stuff out here. And because she testified um, in a case, I believe, involving a pot brownie. The case um, of the pot brownie. The case of the pot brownie. Um, basically, she was called as a defense witness, or I believe. Uh, well, she was called for the I mean, she was called for the prosecution because, you know, oh. you have to have a lab. Someone from the lab has to come and say what the results were. But the person who had had tested the pot brownie uh, had been fired for untruthfulness. And so as lab director, she stepped in um, as, as an expert witness for the prosecution. She was cross examined by the defense uh, attorney, yes. uh, Tom Goolsby, um, yeah. defense attorney and disgraced former state senator Tom Goolsby who had heard about this case, uh, this incident at the crime lab, and pushed uh, expertly and directly right to yep. the point, which was that um, there were some concerns, not just about the occasional miscalibration of equipment, but of, of missing drugs and other misconduct. And yep. so Bethany Prison answered Goolsby's questions pretty honestly. Um, to the best of her knowledge, yeah. Because uh, she is under oath, and some people still take that seriously. And yeah. uh, the blowback, according to her lawsuit, um, from prosecutors, including federal prosecutors, was extremely negative, and that ultimately led to her not, you know, because it was going from a city office to a, a basically a county or sheriff's office, um, they technically had to re-interview her and rehire her, but it was assumed to be a done deal. And so when she didn't get the job, it felt very much to her, according to her lawsuit, like retaliation. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the quick nutshell. This is obviously still ongoing, but I'm really hopeful. Um, selfishly, I do hope it goes to trial so we can see what's in discovery. Um, but that's just that's on my journalism uh, selfishness there because I like seeing all the documents and the facts and what people people say. And that's you know, that's our job. I'd rather see that than a private settlement. And I think that's fair for the public. I mean, that's the purpose of our uh legal system in in america it's supposed to be open to the public so you can see what's happening what's going on how this crime lab was mismanaged and whether or not the wilmington police department ordered nobody ordered ordered people not to talk about the missing drugs if they knew about it if they didn't say anything about the missing heroin which is um it is directly related to this because that, you know, that happened under her watch. Um, and that is part of the reason why she says that she was, you know, basically condemned and damned after that, uh, after she was, you know, forthcoming about what she knew and what she believed, um, which was the possibility of this crime lab technician uh, taking, taking heroin from the crime lab, which then, 
you know, brings that that untruthfulness in and of itself, I think, is a little bit disingenuous by calling the reason to fire someone untruthfulness and not saying what they were fired for if it was stealing or not calibrating the machines right. Um, this is this is people go to jail based off what the crime lab does. And that is a major problem if your people are stealing drugs from it or getting high on the job or not calibrating the machines you have potentially innocent people and innocent until proven guilty people being tried based off of your lab results within your police department and there are there are people that could be going to jail that are not guilty and that is never ever okay that is not justice and that is just complete irresponsibility from the police department to not you know not do more about that and be transparent about it and say you know obviously you don't want convictions overturned as a da as a prosecutor you don't want convictions overturned as a police department but if there is any reasonable doubt that a jury should be able to decide that and say no your your machines weren't calibrated just like we were talking about the delta eight versus delta nine if you don't calibrate it perfectly right and you're i don't know it's just an example if you're picking up delta delta nine as delta eight you know innocent people are going to languish in jail potentially because of this um and for those saying oh that doesn't happen look at new hanover county sheriff five years ago or said said they had one of the biggest fentanyl busts they got this, you know, powder. It turned out to be Similac. It was baby formula. And they tested it and it popped for fentanyl. So that tells you this stuff is happening. And that was a field lab test. When they brought it back, um, you know, they figured out it was Similac. But the fact of the matter is you arrested someone for having baby formula because a bad drug test picked that up. Um, and if that's not injustice, I don't know what is. Yeah. So good time for a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, I have more to say about transparency in the criminal justice system. All right. Well, let's take a break. Welcome back to Port City Politics. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Schachman. And I'm Michael Pratz. And a quick note, we were talking about uh, drugs and field tests and crime labs and transparency in the criminal justice system. Uh, just a, a quick note, not much more on this, but we're still following it. The case of the, the man um, who was arrested for allegedly throwing fentanyl at a New Hanover County Sheriff's Office, those charges were dropped. He has been re-indicted. Uh, there's been a superseding indictment. Um, the witness was a different police officer, a different sheriff's deputy than last time, I believe. Um, we're trying to get some more information about that. So you haven't heard the last of that, but that's all for now. I do want to talk quickly about a rabbit hole I went down uh, yes. over the last couple of months. And that has to do with the True Colors killing, what has been called the True Colors killing. And this was mm -hmm. 
the, mor- the, the murder of Cordes Tyson and Brianna Williams um, at the home of George Taylor III, who was the chief operating officer of True Colors, son of True Colors founder uh, George Taylor Jr. Most people will probably know what True Colors are, but perhaps if, if they don't, you want to give them a pocket description of what this was? Yeah, this was a brewery that employed active gang members in Wilmington with the hopes of offering, you know, gang members uh, viable employment with livable wages um, in an effort to reduce gang violence, specifically shootings is really what we're talking about. But we can we can talk the larger picture of violence, but uh, really gun violence in general um, by giving gang members, rival gang members, um, positions to brew this beer, um, you know, whatever, whatever their roles at the brewery was, whether they're canners, whether they're brewing it, um, you know, give them these viable life skills of operating a brewery. Um, it sounds, you know, on, on its face, the idea in my, in my personal opinion, I think the idea and definitely the desire behind it, I think is very noble it's a it's obviously something people want to address um gang violence violent gun violence is just awful um it's costing innocent people their lives so it's the idea was if you can bring these people together show that hey we're not that different we have a lot of the uh, you know the same goals and activities and um you know basically have a I don't want to I don't want to be trite, but a a kumbaya moment of bringing these people together and saying, look, I'm not that different from you. Yes, we wear different colors. We fly different flags, um, but we are some of the top ranking brass within the gangs. Let's do something from the top down and order these people not to um, not to retaliate, not to take violent action offensively or defensively. that was the idea behind it. We've talked about this ad nauseum that is very difficult to prove a negative to say that the gang violence, that the shootings declined due to this. Um, I believe George Taylor Jr. did, you know, he did take the stance that it was working. It was effective. Um, but again, you know, I'll take his word for it. Maybe he knows, you know, working with these gang members, um, maybe he knows things that did not happen, but that's, basically hearsay um, because you can't prove what didn't happen. So we'll take his word for it. Let's just say on the face, he he was genuine and he he knew something that we don't, which is extremely possible. I'm not ruling that out. And I I will say he knew things that we don't know because he worked with these people, um, with these gang members. So that was the general gist behind it. it. It, it did not, it, it, it ran into some problems. We had um, we had COVID. We had, I believe, there was some sort of hurricane interference with yeah. it in New Orleans where they yeah. were brewing. Um, basically, a lot of things just happened. It, it was when it rains, it pours for this brewery. Things did not get off to a smooth start. Um, and eventually, it, it just kind of went pear-shaped. Yeah, so... Because of because of the heavy involvement with active gang members, um, Corey Tyson, uh, who was a longtime True Colors employee, um, it was almost assumed by people that when he was killed in the middle of the night, 
um, that it was gang related. And when they made three arrests in August of 2021, uh, District Attorney Ben David and Sheriff Ed McMahon were explicit. They said these three young men were part of a set of the Bloods gang, which is uh, con- conceived by law enforcement to be rivals with the growth and development or gangsters, disciples, the GDs. Um, Corey Tyson was a top lieutenant in the 720 Folk Nation and the GDs, according to law enforcement. So that's how this case has proceeded. There was an interesting twist recently, and that is um, a motion filed by the defense attorneys for these three men that claimed so that, that claimed that when they were indicted, um, there was some shenanigans. So you can, law enforcement can arrest you whenever they want. It's not always a good idea. They don't always have enough evidence, but they can always arrest you. But if they arrest you for a felony, you still start out in district court in North Carolina. And to go to Superior Court, uh, a grand jury has to indict you. And that's kind of all I knew about it. I hadn't looked at the process that closely. Uh, I knew it was like 18 people that sort of sit on the grand jury for a year. And that was that was about it, because it's such a it's it really like in the in the crime reporting process, you kind of jump over that pretty quickly because someone gets arrested. That's splashy. They're indicted. It almost always seems like a pro forma rubber stamp technical phase. And then then you're looking at the hearing and the trial and all that. So but in this particular case, what the defense argued was that a detective had lied or perjured himself or misled, say it however you want, um, to to the grand jury. And they gave some specific examples, um, which I won't go all, all the way down the wormhole there. Um, we're going to have some reporting coming out in the next couple of weeks you'll be able to see. But basically, serious material errors. And based on that, they said the indictments should be thrown out, which I, seems pretty reasonable to me. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. Uh, you're not supposed to know what happens in grand juries in North Carolina. I didn't realize quite how secret they are. Most grand juries everywhere, at the federal level and every state, they're, they're usually fairly clandestine. But yeah. in about, I think it's about 40 of the 50 states, um, there are minutes. There's a court mm-hmm. reporter or a recording or it's, it's, it's filmed or audio recorded. Um, and there is a record that's almost always sealed. And if there's a concern about what happens in the grand jury, then you can unseal that. And in North Carolina, that's not the case. There's the only people in the room are the grand jurors led by a head juror um, and mm-hmm. a witness, almost always a law enforcement officer. So, yeah. so sometimes, so you might, you could in theory be indicted and not even know it. You mm-hmm. know, it's extremely rare that the defense has ever offered uh, the opportunity to present evidence. It almost never happens. There's a very mm-hmm. rare uh, substatute that allows a prosecutor to be present for limited types of cases. I think it's human trafficking and drug trafficking cases. But most of the time, this is a black box. So no one ever knows what happens. Um, and the question at, at stake here is that these young men have been in the New Hanover County Detention Center. The one whose father I spoke to several times has been in shackles. He's been in manacles for like two years. Wow. And it's possible that he is a cold-blooded killer and that he will get his day in court in, tr- in, in front of a judge or a jury at some point over the next year and that the two, three years he spent in detention will just be added to his sentence. And we'll say justice was served. But there's also a chance that this guy is innocent because the case, as I understand it, is not a slam dunk. Um, There's no physical evidence. I believe there's no murder weapon, Um, although police did retrieve a firearm from the Kafer River earlier this year that may be related. I'm not sure about that. 
But the case involves a lot of footwork. It's a lot of cell phone locations, interpreting what people texted each other. There's a rap song that's involved. Um, but it is not like a, you were clearly seen by this witness shooting this person. You're on camera. Your fingerprints right. are on the gun, that kind of thing, right? Right. So I think it will be a more involved case. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to weigh in on the merits of the case. But it's, we've certainly seen murder cases where, like, this person clearly did it. Um, right. <laughs> right. So the question is, if this detective, if this detective lied to the grand jury and this person spends three years in a detention center and is then released, they have no recourse. Um, right. That's kind of a, oh, well, too bad, so sad situation. That's kind of where we're at. I spoke, uh, I spoke to a lot of defense attorneys and people in the public defender's office off the record. They don't want to weigh in on this case because it is an active case and it's a high profile case. But basically, yeah, that's, that's the big takeaway is that it's tough luck, Charlie. Um, but what I think is, is really interesting is that in so many other states, in fact, the defense attorneys actually brought up this case, um, which started, I believe, in Illinois and then became a federal case where someone had given false testimony to the grand jury and a federal uh, uh, district judge, his ruling included the language that this was a cancer of justice that had to be removed. So they threw the case out uh, because they were able to open that, you know, they were able to unseal that record and and, and look and see what happened. Now, the, the reasons for a grand jury being secretive are pretty much the same in every state and federal court. It's basically they want witnesses to be able to speak with no fear of retaliation. That's not really the case in North Carolina because the witness is almost always a police officer. It's mostly that they don't want the jurors to feel like they could get in trouble, um, either for the sensitive topics they discuss or because they were involved in indicting someone they could be victims of retaliation. That I understand. Um, And they don't want the person to get away, basically, right? So that's not the case all the time. In this case, you know, law enforcement had arrested these three men. They were in the detention center so if they knew they were going to, it was, they knew that they were going to get indicted at some point. So that level right. of secrecy doesn't really, doesn't really seem to factor in. Um, and so because it's a mixed bag, some of the defense attorneys I've talked to have said, look, it seems reasonable. And in fact, the preponderance of other states uh, have done this. The majority of other states, like, you know, four fifths of the other states have done this. Say, hey, let's just record it just in case there's any question. In North mm-hmm. Carolina, the only way you can really question a grand juror is um, if someone on the jury is mentally incompetent, which is not the same as lying, right? So if a, right. Witness, if a witness is just ruled mentally incompetent, um, you could throw out that case. But if it, there's no mechanism to throw it out if a witness lies. You can also throw it out, and this hasn't happened since like the 70s, if the jury is basically racially gerrymandered, right? Like right. If, it's a, if it's a, you know, say it's a black man on a, an Emmett Till situation where it's a black guy... F- you know, falsely accused of harassing a white woman and they engineer an all-white jur- grand jury. That, yeah. that you could challenge, and there's case law of, of plenty of those being challenged. But in this particular case, the prosecution and the judge's argument ultimately is that no matter how much evidence you have, and they have good evidence in this case um, about what happened, they have a PowerPoint presentation that was labeled grand jury presentation, right? So they're pretty sure they know what they're talking about. Um, they're forced to kind of pretend that they don't have that evidence because of the sacrosanct clandestine nature of the grand jury, which has to be infuriating for the men who are on trial. Yep. Um, so that's, that's where we're at. And I think some of the defense attorneys I've talked to have said, yeah, that, that's kind of how the law is. Um, now, to accommodate 
what they now know, the the courts could basically do a hurry up situation where like, okay, there's now effectively this Brady Giglio constitutional um, rights, Fifth Fifth Amendment rights issue here. We got to like get to trial right now, you know, right, because we've got to even if we can't open the black box of the grand jury, we, we've got to bring these questions out in open court and figure out what happened um, or come up or change the law. Uh, and I right now I don't see either happening. Yeah. So my question is this, and I think that's, you know, it's kind of ambiguous here. So we'll kind of leave it at this. But my question about this is not just, you know, these people can languish in jail. Again, these people, I mean, those those accused. Um, If people who are accused are sitting in jail waiting trial or, you know, waiting an indictment, um, let's say someone lies on the stand they don't know about it. And, you know, that leads to an indictment in theory, in theory, that should be provable at your trial. But I think most people would agree if there's false evidence being used to to coerce that indictment, um, that that doesn't seem like that indictment should stand. But it, does it? I mean, I guess if bad evidence led to your indictment, And then, you know, let's say the prosecutor is working to find other evidence. But in the meantime, you have a rogue witness or two law enforcement officers who go, oh, yeah, I saw him. It leads to that indictment. That indictment can't be undone. They still go to trial then because they are indicted, even if it's based off of lies. Right. And I know what many prosecutors would say is that in many, many cases, the investigation continues after the arrest. The evidence that is available at the time of the indictment, which is usually not long after the arrest, um, is probably not going to be the sum total of what the prosecution, what the state has to present at trial. So you make an arrest and then you, you continue to educate. I get that, right? So there are many cases in which someone, and I should say, when you're indicted, the standard of proof is the same as an arrest, right? It's a, mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard people ballpark it in statistical terms. Cops need to be 51% sure you're guilty. Prosecutors need to be sure, 99% sure that you are guilty, you know. And so grand juries are just, again, they're not seeing any exculpatory evidence. They're just seeing the case against you as a suspect. And they're saying, is there a 51% chance that there's something here? Yeah. And that's why grand juries indict people all most of the time. Um, What I think it would be worth looking at is, you know, how many cases where someone pleads to a lesser charge because the the evidence just wasn't there for the in, initial charge? That's part of what I want to look at. The other issue that y- you can't look away from, especially when you've got DAs like Ben David and John David, who have been aggressive with very very high bonds for, yep. especially for drug traffickers, but also for violent criminals. And there's certainly some public support for that. But I'm saying yeah. oh, yeah. those bonds are based in large part on the offense you're charged with, which is based on the grand jury. So there's, here's the thing, I'm not saying there are situations where there's shoddy evidence, let alone perjury, in a grand jury that leads to someone being hit with a higher charge than they should be, which leads to a higher bond, which leads to them being financially unable to get released from a detention center for years until, for whatever reason, they plead to a lesser charge. But we have no way of knowing if it happens. That's the upsetting part. So that's that's where I think we got to leave it for now, because there just isn't more to know. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, 
Speaking of grand juries, you want to touch on the uh, the final story here? Grand juries and jails. I mean, what you had something on that. I want to know just a little bit. We can just go briefly into this. But that was interesting because I didn't know anything about this. And it has to do with uh, grand juries and jail inspections, right? Yeah, I did not know this. Some of the defense attorneys I talked to didn't know this. Multiple clerks I talked to didn't know this. So making my way through all of the statutes in North Carolina that set up what a grand jury does and how it does it, I came across this line that says, oh, and the grand jury has to inspect the jail once a session. So you're impaneled for a year. So once a year, the grand jury has to inspect the local jail, publish a report, which is public, and is held by the clerk of courts. And I called and I got bounced back and forth between criminal and civil and superior and district. Ultimately, I just walked in uh, I went to the the front, so the sort of lobby clerks that you and I have dealt with for years and years and years, and I just said, can you guys help me? I just want to find this. And I showed them the <laughs> statute, and uh, there was one woman there who said, oh, yeah, I know where that is, and came right back and just gave me a copy. Um, nice. And so every county in in the state, all 100 counties in, in North Carolina, get inspected by the grand jury every year. That report is public. I'm not sure how easy it is to go back in time and get previous reports, so working on that. Uh, I'd love other reporters to jump on this. I put the call out on Twitter to ask other people to see what luck they have. Not yeah. every court might be. Our court is great. We've always had a good working relationship with those clerks. That might not be the case everywhere. I just yeah, yeah, definitely shout out, shout out to New Hanover County uh, clerks of court there that um, pull documents for us all the time. I mean, they they truly are great because they're. Uh, their operating system is still running DOS on those computers. So us trying to search for cases is a little ridiculous in 2023. Yeah. So I'll, I'll we'll leave it there because I, it's just an interesting fact. Um, it is a real thing. I read the most re- I, you can find a picture of it on our Twitter page, on my Twitter page, um, and we'll have it on the show notes. But one of the immediate res- responses I got was it felt a little bit like a Potemkin village visit where they're like, they know the grand jury's coming, so they stop right. all the abuses and mop up all the blood. Like, Best I don't, behavior. I don't know, right? Yeah. I don't know. It, they were escorted through the jail by deputies. It's not like they're a crack undercover team. This is an undercover boss. Um, yeah. So you got to take it with a grain of salt, I suppose. It's a fair point. Um, but yeah, just an interesting wrinkle of state law. I love those. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. Absolutely. All right. We will see you next week. All right. See you then. See you then.